You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, here with Shotgun Spratling and Chris Trevino to have another quick take episode. So much has happened. We're just coming off a press conference with USC head coach Clay Helton, wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown, and quarterback Keaton Slovis. So we'll break that down as well as the Pac-12's press conference, the press conference with Mike Bone, USC's athletic director. Oh, and guess what? Pac-12 football is back. We're going to be covering a seven-game season. So we have a lot to talk about in this little quick take. Guys, just to start off, what are your emotions of uh, the last couple days? And we have something to cover now. My neck hurts just from the whiplash of going from no season to, look, we got to cover something in the next coming weeks. I feel like we collectively are like a a fifth-string kicker who was never going to play. And then all of a sudden, the coach is like, you're going in, son. We need you out there. It's just been a complete whirlwind these last couple weeks. But it's an exciting whirlwind, an exciting, positive change of things for us. I feel like uh, Steam and Willie Beeman from Any Given Sunday. You know, I'm over on the sideline, chilling out, having a hot dog, Mark Sanchez style. Suddenly injuries happen. Like, you got to go in. What? I, I, was, I was cool over here just getting paid, not having to do anything. And now you're getting thrown back in the mix. So uh, now I'm puking in the trash can to get rid of that hot dog and running out onto the field type of thing. Uh, but it, it is it's, – it's sudden that it's come. You know, we did see it coming a little bit, but – for it to finally actually happen and to have a date of when it's going to happen. Um, now it's kind of like, you know, I feel like the bear waking up from uh, hibernation over here. I'm just like clawing at my eyes, trying to get all the, get all the gook out of my eyes and get ready to, to go back out into to the wilderness, which is college football. And uh, excited to, to be able to, to go cover something and, you know, for this not to be a full calendar year without any football. Um, so we'll see uh, how everything transpires. You know, there's still some hurdles to, to take place for them to actually get on the field and for games to happen. And, you know, hopefully all those get cleared pretty quickly. Clay Helton told us today that, you know, that they were going to start in training camp on October 9th is when they plan to have that. So a couple more weeks of them ramping up um, as they would normally do at the end of a summer going into training camp. And then they're back on the field practicing and putting on the pads. And hopefully that means all the, Local government stuff is, is taken care of by that time at USC at uh, in L.A. County, but also in the state for schools like Stanford and, and Cal as well, um, and even in Colorado where they're having some issues right now. So hopefully all that gets taken care of. Then we get back in the football field, and that's what we get to talk about. It's like, hey, this guy looks good because he's doing this, rather than, are we going to play? What's going to happen? I feel like we need a training camp as media people. <laughs> I've completely forgotten how to interview people, how to ask football questions. Just we need to practice. Let's just get in a room together, socially distant or on Zoom, and just ask each other football questions. Just to practice. We got to get those kinks out before you know November seventh. I mean, I kind of feel like the last couple of days have been that that uh, you know getting thrown in the mix at the beginning of a training camp because we've had multiple Zooms, you know, with. The Pac-12 officials, and then the USC officials, and then uh, Clay Helton and some players today. So it's been, uh, you know, uh, uh, 24 hours of constantly being on a computer looking at little boxes. I I, I feel like my roommate, you know, she's uh, constantly having to do work Zooms and stuff, and I'm, I usually don't have to see your faces. So it's been a, a bit of a change. Yeah. Rude. 
Thursday was my first like 12 hour plus work day and I was like this is good pure exhaustion is good guys we're back football is back but yeah it's kind of weird to be out of the swing of things and then suddenly ramping back up like where is this boot camp that I can sign up for Chris to like kind of get back into the (laughs) the reporter shape I'm gonna send you the zoom link later and I got a Facebook group started anyone who wants in can get in (laughs) anyone that wants I'm gonna get random people off the street and we're just gonna ask them stuff cool sounds great um, so, like Chaco mentioned, the Pac-12 is having a seven-game season. There is a very small margin of error for the Pac-12 uh, in their third iteration of this schedule. They are going to have uh, five divisional games, one crossover game, and then the seventh game will be on a championship weekend. So each team will play a team that correlates to uh, the division, I believe, at this point. that's, that's They described it as a championship weekend, that's correct? Yeah, I mean, they, they didn't specifically say that, hey, it's going to be one versus one, two versus two, three versus three, but that's what everyone expects, and that's kind of the um, the way everything is, is leading to. So, you know, USC has a great opportunity to go 7-0. and It's not going to be easy, but they could do it, um, I, I think, especially with some question marks at Oregon about, you know, who's going to opt out there. USC is going to play their five South Division games. We expect the crossover game. Because USC has three road games with the original schedule, they had three road Pac-12 South games, we expect that crossover game to be at home and to be probably against either Cal or Washington because those were the two teams that they were going to host from the North Division that are going to be at home. So, you know, both of those are winnable games. You got Justin Wilcox, but those are both tough games. And that's probably best if USC wants to potentially, you know, make an argument about if they go 7-0, and can they get into a college football playoff? You know, a lot of there's going to be a ton of conversation about this in the upcoming uh, months. Um, you know, does a, a team from a conference with less games deserve to get in? But I also think there's a good possibility that there's not going to be many undefeated teams in the country. You're going to have Clemson's going to be undefeated because the rest of the ACC is trash. You're going to have maybe an SEC team go undefeated. But this is the first time the SEC actually has to play hard games all the time. And that's that's being lenient and saying that Arkansas and you know Mike Leach's Mississippi State in their first year or Lane Kiffin's Ole Miss in their first year or Vanderbilt are hard games, but they're more difficult than Wofford. Let's be honest here. Uh, but it's going to be the first time that those schools actually had to play nine or ten games in a row, and they don't have that big you know in November you don't have a game against Georgia Southern to give you a week off and rest up bodies before an important matchup late in the season. Those are going to be new things for the SEC, and I don't think they're going to handle it as well as people think. I think Alabama's going to do really well because Nick Saban and they had been testing daily early on, and they were able to basically you know, continue what they, their offseason workouts would have normally been. And maybe there's a team from the East, Georgia or Florida, but there's still some big question marks there. So I just don't think that, that the SEC is going to be as dominant as everyone thinks playing against their own conference uh, and not playing uh, those extra cupcakes on their schedule like they normally do. So we'll see where they land up. You know, Maybe Oklahoma runs the table in, in the Big 12. There's a couple teams you think can run the table, but I think it's going to be a little bit more uh, bunched up than people kind of expect. I think It feels like people are like, oh, the Pac-12 has no chance just because the SEC and, and these other conferences are going to have more games, and they're, therefore they're going to have more wins. They're going to have more losses, too, I think, than, than people expect. I also feel like this is going to be the battle of different COVID-19 strategies. The SEC is kind of like, 
you do what we want and oops LSU has herd immunity and and things might get canceled as we see the season progress whereas the Pac-12 was taking a more cautious thought out uh approach to things and it's having a daily testing regimen so maybe you see less canceled games whereas maybe is when things really pick up in, in October November you see other conferences have to cancel games and then look at a, a Pac-12 team that like Shotgun said could go 7-0 they have to be in the conversation for the CFP right I mean, you're looking at it, and there's going to be questions about how many games certain schools get in. I mean, Baylor or Houston, look at some of the – they've already had how many cancellations already. Uh, now, not all this is their fault. You know, a lot of times it's the opponent, and that could still happen. That could happen in the Pac-12 as well. Let's not say that, you know, they're going to be immune from uh, from any cancellations just because they have daily testing. Sure. There's still going to be question marks there, sure. especially as the flu season comes around and germs are spread a little bit more with people being more indoors and in cold climates and stuff. Mm-hmm. So a lot of question marks there, but I don't think it's going to be, Hey, the sec got 10 games in the pac 12 got seven and automatically that's going to be, well, the pac 12 can't get into a, the conversation, but, and Clay Helton said this today, he said, you got to go out there and win every game, but you got to win it convincingly. And that's something USC really hasn't done under Clay Helton. So that's going to be, Uh, a little bit more of an emphasis there for USC to try to win that eye test, to try to put up points early and, and, you know, try to blow some teams out. Something they should have been doing uh, in some of their games previously that they haven't necessarily done. You would think in this, this time, this weird wacky season, we're about to go on with so many game cancellations and not everybody playing the same amount of games. You would think this would be the year we get some sort of temporary playoff expansion, just, just to see, just to get everyone in, and not everyone in, but just a, a larger field so we can have a better uh, collection of teams in there. But, I mean, Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott was asked about it, if there was any talk about expansion. He said no, which I know he got uh, ripped for on uh, social media and media uh, alike. But, yeah, you would think he would be trying to push for that to get his conference at least a better chance of getting it, even with lesser, lesser, a smaller schedule. I mean, you guys know my disdain for Larry Scott and his absorbent salary because he is running a conference and a network that no one can see and is pretty much becoming a conference that no one can see, um, you, you know, because they're not getting those marquee games in the college football playoff and stuff. Yes, he definitely should be have been pushing for either expansion this year um, with, you know, all the different, you know, hurdles that everyone's having to undergo. I mean, it makes perfect sense to go, you know, th- this isn't working out, you know, as far as it, everyone's going to have different games. Why not just have each conference champion make it? And then we'll add, you know, a couple of more deserving teams in. And it's a one-year thing, just a one-year thing. You should definitely be pushing for that if you're Larry Scott. But is he pushing for that? Oh, no, we decided, we talked about it. We decided the status quo seems fine. And even if you, you know, you at least should be selling to the media, like, I tried as hard as I could to make this happen. But it it never seems like he's doing that. Hey, what happened? We find out Mike Bone says, at least, that, you know, he's not, Larry Scott's not even having conversations with Gavin Newsom until after the USC players send their letter to, to the governor of California. And suddenly a couple of days later, or the next day, that's when there's finally conversations going on between the, the two corner office uh, bosses, I think is the way he termed it um, referring to Newsom and, and Larry Scott. But th- that's the thing is like Larry Scott, it, it just seems like, I don't know what he's working on all the time, but it seems like he's not working on the thing that should be the top priority at all times. 
it's always like, well, I'm just going to procrastinate on what I actually should be doing. And I do this a lot. So I, I feel you, Larry Scott. Yeah, I should be. I should be writing that. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go work out or something so I don't have to write that right now. And my, my top priority, nah, I'll get to that later. But let me get objects number four and five on my list. Let me get those done. I'll feel like I've accomplished something. And for four and five for Larry Scott are you know not the important things that the, the Pac-12 needs to be concerned with. I purposely didn't answer Chris after that because you are the token Larry Scott hater on the podcast, Shotgun. So I let you have the floor. I mean, I just – it's – it baffles me that he has not done his job well, and yet he is the highest paid commissioner. Yeah, I, I mean that. It, it seems like if you were a president or a CEO of one of these schools, that you would say, "Hey, we're not getting what we've invested in this person out of it." You know, if you could, you'd be like a GM in a in a, on a sports team and try to trade him away and see if you can get a couple prospects for him. <laughs> you know that. That, you know, even if you got to, uh, you know, eat some salary, do a salary dump here and try to get a prospect or two in it. But, you know, who wants to take Larry Scott right now? He just has not done a great job and it's put the conference way behind, unfortunately. You know, that's the biggest thing is watching from afar. You may just be like, oh, the Pac-12 and Larry Scott. But if you're in the midst of it like we are, it's like the you see the Pac-12 just slowly, slowly dripping away from the other Power Four conferences. You know, it's it, before it used to be the SEC and the Big Ten. The ACC has made their push, and it's because their commissioner there did a really good job with everything they've done. So I, I think that, you know, you're looking at that. They pushed their way up into that being in the top three. The Pac-12 is falling way far behind. So you're looking at whether or not, a you know, an AAC or someone may overtake them at some point. It really makes you wonder what would have happened if USC's players hadn't pin that open letter to Gavin Newsom. I mean, think about the time that elapsed between the announcement of daily testing, the announcement, mind you, that caught other Pac-12 schools off guard because Larry Scott did not tell them prior to the presser. And then you have now a schedule in the Pac-12 that has no bye week, no wiggle room for any type of rescheduling. And you could have had a better schedule if you were on things from the very start of announcing daily testing. But it seemed like USC, and I know I've said this a lot, but from what I've heard, USC, both behind the scenes and publicly, was pushing the the envelope and saying, hey, why aren't we going back to government officials? Why aren't we trying to get this going again? And Larry Scott was kind of just off in no man's land, and USC kind of had to force the issue. So it just, like you said, Chalkin, it makes you wonder, what is what is Larry Scott doing? <laughs> what is really the role? I, I mean, you you say you said it exactly that you know they they push forward and then it feels like they're resting on their laurels. You know, you get this testing, you're like, great, we got this, this is great. Okay, then what's the next step? They are you the next step is you need to talk to those government officials to get over the cohorts thing in California and and some of the other local uh, governments. And it just seemed like that didn't happen. It's like, well, we got this testing, isn't that great, guys? Okay. What's the next step? What are you going to do after that? And it's the same thing with last week when they announced it, you know, that they were having the meeting and, you know, football is going to come back. It seems like, okay, why do you need to wait from Friday to Thursday before having another meeting to decide this? That could, those six days could have determined whether or not they could play on October 31st or even October 24th, like the Big Ten, instead of having to push back to November 7th. 
I know there's different hurdles in the Pac-12 than there are in some other conferences with the local governments and stuff, but why are you waiting so long for everything? It makes no sense to me why everything's like, we did this. We're going to go take a break now. We got to take this break. It's going to be a while, you know, six days before we can talk with these same CEOs on a Zoom call. It's not like we got to get everybody back together. It's a screen. Look at your screen. It's not that hard. Come on, Pac-12. And just to jump on what Keely mentioned right before you went on another little mini rant there, Shaquem. But yeah, <laughs> USC was the one pushing the envelope on this. And good for them kind of acting like the big boy of the conference that most people expect them to be, throwing their weight around as USC, like, hey, let's get it going, being the trendsetter there. I know people want to complain that USC isn't back to the pinnacle, and they aren't. They still have a lot to do to get back there. But good move on them, you know, showing the weight that they have, the say that they have, and, you know, good on this administration to, like, push for that. I don't know if the, the past administration would have been leading the charge uh, like this one was. Not yeah. at all. Oh, not at all. <laughs> Come on, Chris. We, we know the well, answer to that. I, I was just I was just – I didn't want to say it like that. You guys can say it like that. I just was putting it out there. Sure. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing that I've been saying throughout this whole time is if you're a USC fan – you should be happy about the developments that happened. If you're a Pac-12 fan overall, you should be very concerned about like the status of the conference right now. But if you're a USC fan, the knock on the t- on the the program for the last couple of years, a decade maybe, is that they're not where they once were at, in the conference and in just in national prominence. And the thing is, is I get the sense from this athletic administration, this new administration, that they're trying to force the issue and become what USC quote-unquote once was. I know I've I've kind of said a lot that USC was pushing behind the scenes to get things going, and I wouldn't do that if I didn't have proof, I didn't see proof that USC was actually forcing the issue within the conference and at the local and state level. So I've seen things that would back that up. So it, it USC is trying their best, USC's athletic department, and you can see the proof in the pudding. I asked a source, would, what would happen if USC didn't really get in the mix? And they were like, I don't think we would be talking about Pac-12 football right now. And that's how much uh, a key part USC had in all this and building up relations with local and state entities so that they could figure out um, the cohort issue in L.A. County much faster than Stanford. Um, Stanford's still having an issue with Santa Clara County right now. And the source I talked to credited uh, USC's ability to build relationships over this whole time period in coronavirus and, and really build up that relationship. So when they needed to kind of come back to the table and say, we need to have a manageable cohort number, they were able to get more wiggle room than other people in the conference. And really, it's about damn time. Yeah. You know, if you're going to be, if you're going to pretend that you're a blue blood, if you're going to be a blue blood, act like a blue blood. You know, flex that weight. Alabama will flex their weight. Nick Saban's going to flex his weight. Ohio State, you've seen them do that in the Big Ten. USC needs to do that. They need to carry the conference. Even if they're not the team that is playing at the highest level in the conference, they still are the preeminent program, and they need to carry the weight. Now, just to circle back to something we talked about, obviously USC, as a football team, has a long way to go. But the thing that I found interesting was that if you look at Clay Helton's record in the Pac-12 South, he's 20-4, and including his interim year, in the Pac-12 South. He has success in the South, and you have one North game. Could this be, I mean, compared to the original 2020 schedule, this is much more favorable for Clay Helton. But there's a, obviously, there's a good chance that USC could run the table if they really got their act together. Helton, every time there's a new schedule or update, he's been winning. 
You know, at first he <laughs> gets the 10, loses Alabama and Notre Dame with a favorable schedule that we probably saw him maybe just losing two games. Uh, I, I feel like if I went back and looked at my predictions for each of those. And now it's a seven-game schedule. You're probably going to avoid Oregon in that sixth game, assuming you're going to the championship. So, yeah, Clay Helton's the big winner here. Just a favorable schedule can put forth a favorable record, maybe an undefeated record. And that sound you hear is a thousand parasol members screaming into the into the abyss. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, you know that the the schedule keeps getting better for USC. You know, we haven't seen the final schedule here, but like I said, you know, we expect it to be either Cal or Washington at home in that crossover game that USC has. Um, you know, the the Pac-12 South is, is going to have its challenges with Arizona State and Utah is all, always plays USC tough. Uh, UCLA could make some noise as well, uh, but you got to expect USC to be favored in all those Pac-12 South games more than likely, maybe ASU. That's the the one question mark, depending on how the teams are playing. So can you go out there and actually win convincingly? That's going to be the question for USC. They're going to be expected to win. Now can you go do it? And when you take off Alabama, you take off Notre Dame off the schedule, schedule got easier. Now you're taking away a potential road game at Oregon, schedule got easier. You know, so what can you do with that? And the fact that, you know, who they play in the Pac-12 championship game, if they were to make it there, could be Oregon. And Oregon right now still has several players that have opted out. So if they even make it to that, you know, so it, it lines up for USC to have a really good season now that we know that there is going to be one. Now the interesting thing is going to be what happens with USC's new defense and this new defensive staff. I asked Clay Helton about it. I was like, this is probably the longest install period for any defense in the history of defenses just because of how much time they've had off. And of course, it's mental installation. It's not physical installation. That's the point that Clay Helton made is that there's going to be, you need to figure out who's making calls. How are things going to go down physically rather than just going over mental reps over and over and over again. And so, I mean, they'll have a ramp up period, but it's definitely going to be interesting that USC is kind of at a disadvantage in the sense that they're one of the few teams in the conference that have a new coordinator, two new coordinators, actually, when you count Sean Snyder, that they have to kind of get used to things pretty fast in this ramp up period. Definitely. I think the the biggest thing is, is that communication, you know, every time, you know, you go into a training camp, you talk about the offensive line. Okay. Well, we got to communicate when we get our five guys, the defense, that's going to be the biggest thing. Clay Hilton said the, their concentration has been on the players' bodies and they've been trying to implement all this stuff mentally. Um, but getting on the field, having people in position and actually moving the direction you're supposed to move, putting that mental to the physical, that's going to be the biggest question mark for them. And we'll see how their schedule plays out and who they open with and how that will, you know, whether that'll help them or hurt them with a new defense. But that's the biggest question mark going into the season. Now there's another big question mark, and I've talked about the opt-outs of Oregon. There's a big question mark with USC's opt-outs as well. You know, Clay Helton left the door open uh, that, you know, the, the Jay Tefele and Elijah Vera Tucker, um, who had both opted out previously, if they're, to potentially come back. So we could see that. He said that, you know, they'll, they basically have until October 9th to, to make that decision. They're going to see what's going on there. Um, so it, it would be huge for USC to get Elijah Vera Tucker back. I asked Keaton Slovis about it as well. And he had a big smile on his face. He didn't want to say that, yeah, I've been pushing on him, but you could tell that he's reached out to him and, you know, he would love to have him back uh, because we, we talked about this previously when he did opt out, there's big question marks 
there's already big question marks at the left tackle spot. There's even bigger question marks if the guy that you've already slated to put there, at least give him the first opportunity, also is going to be gone. Um, so USC is going to have to figure that out if he doesn't come back, but it would be a big boost to get him back. The other side, on the defense side with Jay Tefele, not as big a concern just because you have two other uh, veteran defensive tackles uh, that you can put in that similar spot with Brendan, Brendan Peely and Marlon Pelotu and how you decide to use Drake Jackson. And that's one of the things to, to circle back to the defense and the communication. There are several veterans on this defense. So that's a positive for USC. Hopefully you, you can see them implement things quickly. Guys that have played a lot of snaps with Talano Hufunga, Isaiah pull them out on the back end, call and play, uh, being able to call out defenses for the secondary. Palaia Naitiote, Jordan Isefa potentially at, at the linebacker positions. A lot of football has been played by some guys in that defense. So that should help um, help accelerate that progression uh, when they actually get on the field and try to implement it. I thought it was interesting when Clay Helton was asked about opt-outs and whether or not Jay and AVT are the, the only two, he was like, you know what? I'm going to wait to give you a full update. Let's wait till October 9th. There's still guys making a decision either way. Um, and then we'll, we'll go from there. So I was just curious who the stragglers are. Obviously it looks like Amon Ross St. Brown. He looked like the most likely, but because he's been in his face has been in front of all these pressers. I, I doubt that he's suddenly going to be like, peace out guys. <laughs> I'm done with this. So I'm just curious what that means in terms of, of, final decisions and i thought it was interesting what he said you know about potentially opting out which chris you already wrote about so you could probably speak on it a little bit better about him just waiting before making that decision yeah i mean he kind of compared he's looked at other guys across the country doing the same thing and he was thinking well if the normal season was going you guys wouldn't be opting out until january um but he said his mindset the whole time was I want to play. I'm preparing as if I'm going to play. I've been training every day like I'm going to play. And, you know, he didn't want to rush the decision, which I think a lot of kids did initially. They were like, all right, let's go. Let's wait out. But that's just the nature of this whole thing. Everything changes so much week to week. Um, but, yeah, I mean, lucky for USC that, you know, he was patient. I mean, I think when we first started this thing, he was kind of maybe number one on our list that we thought could be the first to jump, as Keeley mentioned. So, you know, it was nice to see him stick by. And now USC is going to have a very, very talented wide receiver group again. In their defense, though, I mean, Larry Scott, and maybe they should have known Larry Scott, but Larry Scott did say the earliest the Pac-12 will play is January 1st, 2021. And look where we are. So I, I kind of feel bad for at least the Pac-12 players, whereas the Big Ten was just a mess from start to finish. And you've seen some of those Big Ten players already opt back in, uh, and guys like Rondell Moore, who's a super explosive player, who would have had every agency you know, calling him immediately when he opted out. So I'm assuming that he probably had already signed with someone. So I, I think that the waivers and different things, those things can be worked around. I think the NCAA is going to work with these players, knowing how crazy this season has been. We haven't seen anyone say, I tried to opt back in, and the NCAA said no. So I, I think if USC's the two guys that have already opted out and if anyone else is you know, still debating whether or not they want to play, and, and maybe it's not just NFL versus not playing. There might be some you know, medical concerns that people might be uh, weighing their options there. Uh, that may have been what Clay Helton was talking about. But all the reactions I've seen, um, you know, there haven't been any confused reactions from players and stuff. Everyone is just hyped and excited that the, the season's going to be taking place. And, you know, USC's going to have a lot of weapons. Tyler Vaughn, Drake London, those guys, 
have all been ex- super excited about uh, the potential of getting out there to play. Stephen Carr, I've seen several social media posts on the offensive side in particular about off- playmakers. Uh, so Graham Harrell should should have a, a full cupboard now. They just got to protect Keaton Slowest in front so that he can get the ball out to those guys. And I think an important distinction we want to reiterate between AVT and Jay Tufele is that Tufele is actually signed with an agency, so it does make it a little bit more muddled or whatever. Um, and AVT has not, I believe. He he, he is not. Per he is not signed. So sources. yeah, yeah. And I don't think more Sean Wade and Wyatt Davis, any of them, had been signed. At least I've been doing a little bit of research for a story I'm doing. But I don't think any of those guys were signed, so it was a little more easy for them. Um, but with Tufele. I think there is a waiver that will need to be done. Um, but apparently there is some precedence um, with the punter at ASU last year who who came back and came back in. Um, but yeah, but that'll be interesting to see. Uh, and there's also precedence, uh, you know, I put this in a war room a couple weeks ago about how college basketball players are allowed to, now it is an NCAA-approved agent, um, but they're allowed to sign with an agent, go through the draft process, go through the combine and everything, meetings with teams. And then if they choose, they can withdraw their name and then they're still eligible the next season. So, you know, and we've seen that, you know, happen several times with Pac-12 players. So it's not something that is completely that hasn't been done at all in the past. So I think the NCAA could work around this if if they so choose. In terms of testing, USC has received their Quidel systems. They still have to train to and learn how to use the systems to get that up and running. Um, I believe they said that they can run between 30 and 50 tests an hour, so it's not like they can run the whole team um, in one go. But what did you guys take away from what, what, we've, what we know so far about that whole process? Yeah, Helms updates seem very positive they got their machines last week they have medical their medical staff training on it right now and they hope to get it up and have it running by october 9th when contact starts um he also said that in addition to the conference protocols and testing they might have additional u at university testing on top of that just to be extra um but right now they're doing yeah the two testings per week with the colors test um and yeah he said he didn't ha- he didn't think they'd have any problems moving forward they think they were they're going to hit that goal of having it up as early as next week hopefully all the other schools can can follow suit as well yeah so as far as how things are going to go in this in the next six weeks the big thing right now is usc is still restricted to cohorts of six to twelve players so you know you have all this fanfare on thursday about hey the pac-12 was back and then friday morning they're still in their small cohorts working out so that's something that Hopefully, I've been told, will be solved by Monday. Um, but until then, USC is stuck to that uh, strength and conditioning workout type of deal. But then you have the two-week ramp-up period, and then you go into four weeks of practice. What are you guys expecting for these next six, six weeks? Yeah, USC has submitted their paperwork to the NCA and all the stuff. To Now that they have a schedule to you know build up to the actual season, so they get two weeks where they'll move from, you know, they're kind of in off-season training mode still right now where they can do 12, 12 hours a week training uh, and they're in these small pods. And then next week they can go to, you know, they should be able to go to 20 hours a week. And if the restrictions are, you know, are, are pulled back, then they should be able to do full team stuff or, you know, half team or whatever it may be for their conditioning and whatnot like they would normally on a, you know, on a mid-July summer workouts and stuff like that. So that's, that's where they're at there. And then potentially October 9th being full contact, being able to go. 
or, or get the pads on and everything. My question is, having them not having played, obviously, full contact since last year or whatever, um, how hard can they or will they go once they can hit? I mean, that's been a question for Clay Helton his entire tenure as head coach, hasn't it? Um, I, I think, I mean, you're still going to have the regular ramp up where you put on helmets first and then shells and you work your way up like you, like you would in a training camp. Uh, it, it's, it's a big question. And I think that part of that's going to come down to if there is any more opt outs, you know, do you have some positional, uh, depth issues at, at some places that's where USC has been, you know, been very, very cautious since Lane Kiffin's time. And Lane Kiffin even recently said that that was something that hurt them by not tackling more in practice. Now he had a, a more limited roster due to scholarship issues and USC's had so many small injuries, having 25 guys out at times, they need to be able to find a way to work through that stuff so that they can actually get out there hit and do that. Because you saw, look at Navy and what happened to them when they did not tackle in practice because of the COVID restrictions and stuff and trying to be very cautious. And they just got torched the first game because they couldn't tackle anybody. And I was going to add, are you guys concerned at all, given what we've seen injury wise with the NFL, given how, you know, time off might lead to injuries. Like they, someone did a, a data set from when the NFL had a lockout and came back. There were a lot of other injuries in that sense as well. Do you think we'll see an influx of injuries just because you have this awkward time period that, that players aren't really used to? Yeah, I mean, that was kind of like the foundation of that question, just like how hard can they go just because of everything we've seen in the NFL and the body's not being ready. And obviously those are professionals. They obviously had a lot more access to stuff to get ready for this season. And these are college kids, amateurs that, you know, don't have that preparation. So I think that's a big question for the staff, especially, you know, when Orlando came in, he said he's going to hit, hit, hit. Obviously we didn't get to see that in the spring, but it's just an interesting uh, take. I would be a little bit concerned. Just yeah. So you know. I, I think it's definitely a concern. Uh, you know, seeing, seeing those data points from other leagues and not just the NBA, I mean, not just the NFL, but also MLB and how many injuries they had. When you throw off the schedule and what the body is used to when you've created this uh, constant cyclical nature of a, a yearly pattern, then you're going to have some changes. So it's gonna, I would be very concerned. That, that would be one of my biggest concerns if I am the coaching staff. What can we do? How much can we do? But I think, honestly, if you want to be at your best, you got to go hard. Now, if that takes a couple extra practices to ramp up to it, and then going you know, harder a couple times later in the camp. Maybe that's what you do. Maybe you make some changes there. But you, you got to get out there. You got to tackle, especially in a new defense. You got to know what angles and stuff you're taking because you're doing different things now. Well, I did promise that this is a quick take. Any final thoughts? Chris, I know you have a take it or leave it session for us. Look, oh, we've been doing a bunch of quick takes, and I never get to get to the take it or leave it because it doesn't make it into the yeah, and I've just been I've had a bunch that I've had to get rid of because they've expired just <laughs> tragic tragic so I just had two USC ones um take it or leave it uh no fans in the stands It'll leave be it no fans uh for USC I would take it because you know you can go practice in the Coliseum and, and like you would a normal Saturday scrimmage and it'll feel the same and I, I think that you have less of a home field advantage at the Coliseum where we've seen some of the crowds versus if you go to a Utah or you go to that Oregon game that was scheduled on the road when you have fans there, I, I think that it might play it to USC's advantage not to have fans this year versus, you know, the the environments that they would have been going. But come on, college football needs fans. If this is a perfect no, world, I, 
and public I'm health not is not saying, an issue. I'm not saying that I don't want fans there. I think it's I think it can be advantageous for USC is what I'm saying. Sure. I want fans, of course. I want to feel the the intensity. I want to feel the you know the the hair on the back of my neck stand up when I'm at a USC Oregon game. Not going what's going on here and that's going to be interesting because Amon Ra St. Brown talked about it and uh, so did Keaton but you know the team that has the most energy and he talked about the NBA you've seen a lot and they've mentioned it the team on the bench that has the most energy oftentimes is the you know that's how they're fueling the the players that are on the field or on the court so that could be something uh that, that could be interesting to watch as well who All is right. the who is the ultimate hype man on the USC bench oh that's gonna be the question Brandon Peely Brandon Stanley Taofu, he's been last couple of years. He's been like really into it. I forgot what there was one play that happened where his head just pops up and he's like screaming like a madman. So watch out for him. I watch. It'll be interesting because because a lot a lot of times the the hype on USC sideline is getting the fans involved or baiting the fans when you're at Colorado or something and they you know get the final. Uh, say so. Who's going to be the hype man for the team, though? Who's going to get the team hype versus getting the fans hyped? Sure. Uh, last one, because I said I would get just do two. Uh, we don't know what the freaking traveling is going to look like for us going to away games, but uh, road tripping us three for these road <laughs> games, socially distanced. As long as you guys get tested, you can ride in the car. What I'm if down. I'm not doing anything with my life? How about that? Does that count as a test in itself? It's free in Los Angeles County. Just go get tested. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> what, so what's the take it or leave it, Chris? A road trip? Are you against road tripping? The three of us. The three amigos. Only if you vlog. Then I'll take it. Keely and the Beard Boys. <laughs> wow. Working on names. We're working them on, working on these names. Yeah, you got to workshop that a little bit, but I like it. I just had a last one. Take it or leave it. Will me and Shotgun keep our beards? Keeping our beards for the for the season. Can I weigh in because I I think I'm the neutral yeah, party this is a here. Take it or leave it. This is a take it or leave it for you, just for you. I think Shotgun should leave it, Chris. I, I'm digging the the Mexican James Harden. <laughs> Let's go, baby. Let's go, Chris and Tegan back, baby. Mine will be gone before the season starts, there or at least go. trimmed down. Beard boys are in, baby. Let's go. <laughs> Alrighty. Any final thoughts, guys, before we wrap up this quick take? Um, I think it's worth noting, though, we were kind of the podcast that was um, cautious about COVID-19 and, like, playing. And I think daily testing definitely alleviates those concerns. I just wanted to give you guys the floor if you wanted to update your stances. Yeah, I, I think the daily testing is huge. And, you know, I've said from the beginning of the pandemic that I thought testing would be, you know, the biggest key, not only for college football, but also for our country. And for them to get daily testing, that stops the potential spread to their teammates and stuff. But it, it's going to be interesting to see if that is enough to stop, you know, having any outbreaks or any contact tracing issues where you're going to have complete position issues or whatever, like you've seen in a lot of other games. So going to be interesting still to see how it plays out, but excited that they got the daily testing, that we're moving forward, that there's going to be a college football season and that USC has, you know, uh, you know, we haven't seen the full schedule, but from what we expect, probably a pretty favorable schedule. So, you know, maybe there's a – it's not really glory years in, in this type of season, but a, uh, a glorious, glorious year. I don't, I don't know what it, how we can cut that down. A glory year. <laughs> what are you saying? 
Who knows? It, it, it's hard, it's hard for me to follow shotgun, even with I don't know what was going on there at the end. But I'm sure. just going to say, team science. That's it. Until yep. next time. Yep. Alrighty. I'll I'll take us out on that note. Thanks, guys, for helping me break down what happened, the madness that happened this week on another Family Feud quick take. It's just becoming a quick take in general. Like, we don't have a normal pod anymore. That's what happens when there's so much news happening. Uh, But that's going to wrap it up. We'll be back. We have a lot to talk about now, which is exciting. That's Shotgun. That's Chris. I'm Keely. See ya. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.